This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. Um, we just finished watching Shatiji Tre's Shonar Ke Lal, The Golden Fortress. This is a film that he made in 1973-74. And uh, his first foray into detective films it's based on a story that first came out, it's a novel that first came out in 1971 in the special issue of, uh, the festival issue it's called, Pujo Barshiki, of uh, this, the most important Bengali magazine, the most popular one for sure, called Desh. And it's interesting that Desh is usually for adults, but Ray, starting with this, did, I think for three years in a row, he contributed a novel. By that time, he had become so established also as a writer that they, I guess, kept approaching him to do something for them for the special issue. And so Golden Fortress comes out of that. This is the third uh, story about Feluda and Topshe. Uh, you know, I have been walking a long time holding Feluda's hands with, along with Topshe. We grew up reading these things. I was about seven, eight, something like that, when this film came out, I mean, the, when the uh, uh, story came out. And then the film came out when I was in grade five, and you saw uh, uh, Mukul's sister sleeping in the bed and then at the door, kind of peeping out. She, that, that girl was my classmate. I remember wanting to watch this film from the time it was released, and my mother was very busy. She taught us school in school, and so she couldn't take me there until I just stopped talking to her. Like it was almost a month gone and I couldn't de- like believe that she hadn't taken me yet. So, you know, that kind of investment, that's what we grew up with in these uh, stories. And particularly the picture, uh, the, the image of uh, Feluda. Uh, we'll have a lot to say about that, but I wanted to turn to Vishnu Priya Ghosh. First, let me introduce them. This is Pujita Guho. Uh, she's a PhD candidate in Film and Media Studies. Has written, published a little bit about Feluda, I believe. Uh, this is Bishnu Priya Ghosh, uh, Professor of Global Studies and English here at UCSB. And Bishnu and I have written a little bit about other stuff in Ray, but not this. So Bishnu, I wanted to start by asking you, uh, could you take us through a little bit about the literary background from which Ray arrives to write about this? Right, so uh, as Bhaskar said, we, you know, this grew, we grew up with thinking about this as popular young adult fiction. And he's the best-selling young adult fiction writer uh, in Bengal. Um, so even before knowing him as a film director or serious <coughs> film director, we all knew him for this popular fiction. So he would go on, as Bhaskar said, the first publication uh, uh, was called Peludar Goendagiri. It was a story that appeared in the Shandesh uh, magazine. And this was a magazine, of course, that his uh, grandfather, Upendra, Upendra Kushar uh, Raichodhari, who was, among other things, a printmaker, um, had started. And Ray himself edited it. So it came out in 1965, and then Shonar uh, uh, follows uh, from there. And one of the things that was, of course, we'll have lots more to say about the Peluda character, who's, you know, was one of the dashing, charismatic, young detective that everybody had a crush on. You know, he could be of any age, and you had a crush on Peluda. But, um, but beyond that, he was also very interested, as you saw here, the detective fiction is very pedagogic. He was very interested in uh, Sherlock Holmes, and Arthur Conan Doyle, of course, was a 
huge influence. And in 1958, he was in Brussels and somebody gave him the, a French edition of Hergé's Tintin for his son. And he said this is, he has a filmic imagination. So you can see, of course, the sort of the bumbling Lal Mohun Babu as a kind of a Thompson and Thompson character. But what is most interesting in, in Shonar Kella, which is only the third uh, of this, these 35 uh, um, stories, is that it, he embeds a thriller, a cheap thriller writer in the story. So it's somewhere between the sort of the literary proper <coughs> and this cheap thriller writer that you have the kind of popular fiction that he wanted to write emerges in between that. So um, I always think about why you have another writer in the story, right? A writer who's not been anywhere, knows all about the world, knows there's no wolves in Africa, right, from reading books, uh, and who's never had a thrill. So this is the first time he gets to participate. So this, uh, this trajectory um, of detective writing is quite unusual, and I think we'll have more to say about the reincarnation <laughs> part. But uh, let me stop there with the, with the literary part of it. I wanted to, like, right here, jump in and talk about Jotayu since you brought him up. And yeah. uh, either of you, what do you have to say about Jotayu? Because he's such an important node in this, this one onwards. He right. becomes one of the sort of, it's a, tri it's a trio, not, not a duo anymore, right? It's not just Sherlock Holmes and Watson, but it's plus one. Should I you start? want to take Jotayu? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, for me, I, I mean, uh, I think for me, the most important scene is when actually Jotayu gets introduced. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a lot of anecdotes that I've heard from my parents. Apologies for this generational difference. But um, <laughs> I've heard a lot of anecdotes from my parents and their, and, and their friends and so on that there actually used to be a lot of claps and so on in the hall when Jotayu is introduced. So he's actually introduced... Uh, as a popular figure and that's who's also loved by the masses mm. in a way the Jotayu also signifies as you were saying in this pedagogic impetus somebody uh, with whom the sort of the audience identifies because Feluda uh, is always at a pedestal somebody you already know somebody's always smart somebody whom you aspire to um, and Jotayu is the foil with his own bumbleness his own fallacies his all his own shortcomings uh, mm -hmm. But who was also quite adept at learning new things in the world with Feluda and Topshe, which I think made Jotayu quite relatable. Uh, apart from obviously all the humor and the sort of the slapstickness mm -hmm. that he kind of uh, invents and gives into the story uh, quite a bit. Uh, and obviously also all of this is brought into life by Shantosh Dotto, again one of one of Ray's very <coughs> uh, favorite. Uh, uh, actors from the theatre repertoire, uh, who's had a background in comedy and theatre, uh, who's brought into Ray's sort of cinematic universe, uh, and also appears in Gupi Gain, Bagha Bain. Uh, as the twin king. As the twin kings in the yeah. first film. Uh, so, uh, uh, Shantosh Dato also kind of epitomizes uh, Jotayu um, in, men, in more, more ways than one. So I wanted to quickly add that, you know, some things are getting lost in the translation here. Yeah. Uh, for instance, Jotayu says a couple of times, oh, you're really interesting, I have to cultivate you. And they translate mm -hmm. it as, I have to get to know you. It's, that's not the same, I have to cultivate you, that kind of agrarian reference of like coming, getting close to someone. But also when he says, like, what's your uh, chest size, 26 inches, <laughs> what's your waist size, 26 inches, he actually asks, are you sure? 
Now, they translate as, are you a pig? Now, it is the pig that he's referring to because shuor in Bengali means the pig. But it's a real pun that's much more funny than being getting the direct translation. Or, of course, you got the highly suspicious, right? Those, those, those particular phrases became incredibly popular all through the 70s. We were always sort of bandying that around in our everyday mm-hmm. conversation among friends. Uh, the wonder part I want to bring up. So, you know, we just uh, had a conference called Satyajitri and the Sense of Wonder. And this four film se- miniseries is sort of geared towards that sense of wonder. And one of the things that we wanted to do was to show films that are not often screened in the West because these are seen as genre films which are far more uh, indebted to local idioms and so they don't quite translate, they don't carry over that easily. So musicals or comedy films or even this one, detective film. There are so many little things that the nuances are lost. So Lal Mohan Ganguly, for instance, is absolutely enthralled with the Felula character, right? And there is something about masculinity here that becomes the object of wonder. And we hope we can keep on talking about this as we move on. But I wanted to ask Vishnu now maybe uh, to say a bit about, uh, no, maybe Pujita will be a better person. She brought up the intergenerational thing. And the (laughs) point of having her here is precisely to see how Feluda's reception has changed over the years uh, across generations. Uh, A student in my class on Shotijitra that I'm teaching now who just came from Delhi, told me that she grew up reading Ray in translation. I didn't even know that that had happened, that, it, had, she had be, that Ray had become so big as a writer across multiple generations and communities, linguistic communities. Uh, Pujita, Ray's science fiction, if you want to say yeah. a few things. I think, uh, I think this is also a good seg- segue from this question about wonder. Uh, that you were bringing up just a few seconds ago. Um, Apart from uh, writing uh, uh, Feluda's uh, short stories and novels, which is based on this detective thriller genre, uh, Ray was also very, very popular in creating Professor Shonku, a Trilokeshwar Shonku, uh, the science fictional madcap scientist who kind of takes on this other persona and gives Ray that sort of popular writer um, uh, kind of status uh, in that sense. And uh, Professor Shonku is... If, for, for, if uh, Sherlock Holmes is based on Conan Doyle's um, uh, uh, character, I mean creations, uh, uh, Professor Shonku is based on, prof- uh, on Professor Challenger that Conan Doyle mm-hmm. also writes. Uh, somebody who, for example, takes voyaging and exploration as a very mm-hmm. serious thing uh, in the late 19th century uh, in his novels. Uh, and this has been written about, this is quite also popularly known, but I think the other sort of figure that shapes Professor Shonku uh, is actually Satyajit Ray's father, Shukumar Rai, had a, uh, a madcap scientist mm. figure in a lot of his writings called Nidhikar Patkin, mm. uh, who's sort of, who's not really a very reserved scientist, but quite madcap, quite funny, quite humorous, um, and also works in, in the rural countryside, which also becomes the setting for uh, Shonku's uh, 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 sort of labs and settings and where he is. Professor Shonku is not somebody who set in Calcutta, unlike Feluda, where the city becomes a huge thing. Uh, in Professor Shonku's world, it's either outer space or in rural Bengal. Um, but to kind of move back into this question of wonder, uh, what happens is uh, 
Ray, while he's doing all the science fictional work, uh, is not is sort of emerging from a milieu in which science fiction actually become a very popular genre in Calcutta at that time. Uh, Ray was best friends, actually quite close friends, with this other very famous Bengali science fiction writer, Audrey Bardhun. Uh, and Audrey Bardhun actually had a journal, science fiction journal, uh, called Ashchurjo, and the Bengali word for wonder is actually Ashchurjo. Uh, which is which in English uh, later is reprinted as fascination. So uh, Ray is actually working with somebody who had a journal publication called The Wonder. So there's a sense of wonder is quite literal and tangential uh, in that case. Uh, and with Bardon Satyajit Ray, even before he was writing Professor Shunkwar, thereabouts in the 60s, uh, had actually uh, started a science fiction cine club. Uh, uh, with Audrey Bardhon and later another very famous Bengali writer, Premendra Mitro, will also join that foray. So they were actually programming not just uh, 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 Hollywood science fiction films, but they were also programming Russian science fiction films, Czech science fiction films uh, that were also circulating with the sort of cinephilic movements uh, back in the day. So uh, Ray is kind of invested in this question of science fiction quite a bit as a writer, uh, to a degree, but also a curator and a programmer, uh, 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 even though the science fiction club had a short, short run time um, back in the day in the in, in late 60s, uh, between 68 to 70, basically. Uh, and then obviously, like in, in the West, uh, Ray's sort of contribution to science fiction is very much tethered to the project that never happened, mm -hmm. uh, which was, uh, yeah. uh, which was basically Ray had, uh, uh, was in dialogues with the Columbia Pictures to be making uh, uh, to be making this film called The Alien, which is also based on one of Professor Shonku's adventures. And uh, uh, an Alien was previously called The Avatar, actually. Uh, and uh, Alien didn't get made for one of the many reasons. And uh, later, when E.T. came out, or uh, Spielberg E.T. came out in 1983, uh, Ray had a sort of meltdown on sight and sound accusing for similarities. Um, so Ray, uh, Ray always wanted to make science fiction films that never got done. Uh, but he's very prolific, very well known within Bengali literary cultures uh, when it comes to science fiction. Um, and this question of wonder that is very much built into, uh, into all that Professor Shonku does in his writings. So uh, one of the interesting points to uh, think about here is that the story on which the alien was supposed to be based, the title is Bonku Babu's Friend. And if you think about it, E.T. is the first alien in Hollywood that's friendly. There's something there that, you know, is very, very fundamental in tone and orientation to the alien that's uh, important to uh, keep in mind. Shidhu Jatha. Let's talk a little bit about Shidhu Jatha, who, if you remember, is the uncle who knows everything, like a walking, talking encyclopedia. It's very interesting that the same actor who played the wizard mm. in Gupiga and Bhagavain is playing Shidhu Jatha here. So he's a wizard of sorts, right? And also Mukul's father, who is a chaposha look. Again and again, people describe him as someone who's very ordinary. He's a typical householder with kids to support. So, you know, he has a bookstore. And that's not trivial because he has a bookstore in College Street. That means he knows everything about everything too, probably, even though he doesn't really know English well. As he says, the telegram had to be composed by somebody else. So 
So uh, just about you, the Jatha, I mean, this is, I think the other part of Jatha you, the Lal Bohun Babu character, is the other genre is the travel look. Mm -hmm. You know, this idea of, that it's a very, very popular genre in Bengal. So you read travel logs <laughs> and you know everything about everything from books. So Lal Mohan Babu is this comedic character, but he's also quite a serious sort of, there's a bibliophile and him, if you put them together. Who's never really traveled. Who's never traveled, but has an encyclopedic knowledge. And so this, this uh, forum of young adult fiction becomes a kind of a pedagogic one. And I think to return to some of the question of wonder that uh, Pujita and Bhaskar were talking about, um, the other sort of, uh, you could say, incitement in this film is, of course, to take reincarnation seriously, that, you know, Mukul has, remembers his past life. Uh, and that, that's kind of, you know, bringing in, if you think of the fantastic, which is marvelous sci-fi on one side, and the uncanny or the ghostly on the other side, this, this really inhabits it. You have uh, Peluda as interested in the modern scientific method, but he's always open-minded, right? So there's a wonder aspect there. And they kind of embed things so that the reasoning is inductive. He'll give you, you can believe what you want if you track it. And what was very interesting in the, in the conference, uh, Projit Mukherjee, who's a historian of science, did this whole tracking of how in this moment of sort of post-imperial science in post-colonial India, you have this notion that, you know, you can have a capacious science, a new kind of science, one that will push the frontiers of credibility, of orthodoxy, and all of those things. And at that edge of that science, there are all these people who believed in <coughs> telepathy and parapsychology. And Projit did a whole lot of digging in the archives of the West Bengal Society for Parapsychology, guess who's the vice president is Satyajit Ray. And one of the members is called Lal Mohan Ganguly. You know, so, so there's a kind of a tracking. So one of the things that we see here is Hemang Hajra is based on this guy called Hemindranath Banerjee, who frequented the Ray uh, family often. And he was the head of the parapsychology department in, in um, University of Rajasthan, Jodhpur. And he wrote a book between 1959 and 65, he collected 25 cases of children who remembered their previous lives. It's called the Once and Future Life. It came out in 1965. Uh, so, you know, there is this dimension where Ray was really trying to think about detection and where you have to have a leap of faith to think about the scientific method a little bit differently. So I think there's a place for the uh, for, for reincarnation, that case for reincarnation that's made in this film. And, you know, by this time, there's a long history of uh, reincarnation films or supposedly reincarnation films in both Bombay and Calcutta Industries. And some of the most important Bombay films, the super hit films from the 50s, 60s and 70s had to do with alleged or real reincarnation or ghost stories where, you know, like the haunting is some kind of a return. And I'm thinking of films like Mahal, uh, and Madhumati, and uh, later on, uh, much later on, Cars, and in the 2000s, Om Shanti Om, some of you have seen that film. What is interesting is among all these films, but only Madhumati is the one where the ghost turns out to be a real ghost, otherwise it's always a fake, someone who's trying to freak people out, 
for some ulterior motive. And it's amazing that the Madhumati script was written by no other than Ritik Ghatak, the so-called avant-garde filmmaker of Bengal, uh, Ray's contemporary. He's going to turn 100 in two years. I don't think we have it in us to have a whole conference here, but uh, we'll try to show some films for sure. And uh, he's the one who is the most modernist of all these people, probably, in many ways. And yet, he's the one who actually subscribes to ghosts or some sense, some kind of paranormal presence. He can't totally rule it out. And here, too, we get that same kind of investment. I mean, with Shonku or Feluda, one, a scientist and a detective, uh, they are so open. Hmm. And Shibujata does bring it up. Like, you have to keep your mind open. Do you have your mind open? It's not just about knowing this trivia, but also to keep your mind open to all kinds of experiences and happenings that surround us that we sometimes can only intuit no more. But that's important, too. Oh, that we don't yet understand, yeah. but we wonder about, yeah. Hmm. Uh, Rajasthan. Hmm. It's a character here, no? It definitely is. Um, uh, I think for me, uh, w uh, really watching the film right now, but also o over these years, I think for me, Rajasthan, I mean, Rajasthan obviously stands out and the images of the fort that uh, Ray uh, takes in these films actually are often printed on uh, postcards that actually get sold and uh, circulated mm -hmm. at these sites. Uh, Ray's images, not even other postcard images, really screenshots from the film that get reprinted and sold as uh, illegal, Ill illegal memorabilia at these tourist sites. Uh, Rajasthan definitely becomes a character uh, and more importantly what happens, and, and I was reading the novel actually earlier in the day and uh, early on in the text, uh, Topshe says that his holiday might be actually uh, be in Rajputana, uh, which is different from Rajasthan to say the uh, sense that Rajputana, which is this desert place, uh, um, and to say Rajputana means that it is a land of the Rajputs, which is the warrior clan. So there is a sort of equation that happens between uh, Rajasthan as this desert, vast, empty space where there are no cars, uh, and there's one tire, and so on and so forth, a space of expanse. But it's also the land of warriors, dacoits, mm -hmm. Uh, that are built into this cultural vocabulary of this text. Uh, uh, and, uh, and this question of the warrior clan uh, is obviously embedded in these giant fortress images that you see one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. Uh, and while, and I think Vishnudi will uh, go on a bit ab about uh, this history about uh, Rajputana in Bengal, uh, in Bengal cultural sphere, I just wanted to say, signpost one last thing here, which is the fact that uh, for a lot of people uh, watching Shonar Killa uh, not only incited this question uh, and spirit of travel, uh, which you see obviously with these very picturesque images uh, of the desert lands, uh, but more importantly, the film is actually playing out like a, a Rajasthan itinerary yeah. in the sense that, for example, like people from Bengal will literally take the Tufan Express, land in mm -hmm. Delhi and then go like literally raise very attentive to train timings, uh, uh, train junctions, so on and so forth. And then you see the characters themselves hop from Delhi to Jaipur to Jodhpur. B I mean, there's Bikaner in between and finally to Jaisalmer. Uh, I mean, I'm not expecting everyone to be knowing Rajasthan's geography, but one can see that there's literally an itinerary, literally a travel plan that's built into the narrative 
in as much as these images that also excite people about what it means to be traveling to these very far off places uh, from Bengal. Uh, Rajasthan's uh, literally on India's West End. It's so mm. quite a bit of a travel destination for people. Uh, so there's some sort of self-orientalization also. Uh, but it, it, it literally pans out, the narrative literally pans out like a tour guide, like a pamphlet, mm. like a tour pamphlet that people would be taking in uh, on their uh, puja holidays or winter or summer holidays, yeah. as it were. So I was also thinking that, you know, the it's a road movie. It, it becomes is. something like a road movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot has been written in Bengali in the last few years because, you know, it's a centenary. And Ujjwal Chakraborty talks about the various pacings of the vehicles. I mean, you have so many different kinds of vehicular speed in this film, right? It's a train, it's then it's a smaller toy train, and then there's a, uh, the camel, there's the auto rickshaw on which Lal Mohan careens across that roundabout in the hotel. Uh, uh, what else is there? The car. The car, of and course. The yeah. So multiple speeds, and this is how a kind of dynamics is achieved in this film, like all these different levels of speeds. Um, Raj Kahini, you wanted to bring up yeah. because... So the other part that I wanted to bring up was, um, you know, one of the things is Topshe, the younger character, the, you know, the, the, the satellite, is always carrying books. And you see a Tintin, he's carrying a Tintin at one point. But at one point, for just a brief glimpse, you see an illustrated Raj Kahini, which was, you know, this folk tales of Rajasthan that was put together by Abhinindranath Tagore, who's uh, a cousin of Rabindranath Tagore, nephew. Uh, and of course, as we know, Ray studied in Shantiniketan, the university that was founded by Rabindranath Tagore. He studied art there. Abhinindranath is probably one of the most famous modern painters. But he writes this volume in 1905 about the folk tales of Rajasthan. And for it's children. Widely, for children. And it's widely read. Signet Press, the press that uh, Satyajitra is associated with, his boss founded it, um, brought out an illustrated version in which Satyajitra actually does the illustration in 1946. So there's a very long sort of a hold of Rajasthan as a place of enchantment. Ray has written about Jaisalmer as having this saffron pure purity of its beautiful marble, its sewn stone carvings, and he talks about it as strangely lustrous and ascetic. Uh, so mm. you can see the sort of the wonder of the Shonarkella suddenly sort of bursting upon us in the film. Is, is really sort of work a part of that enchantment. And so I think I was talking to Bhaskar and Pujita earlier saying that could one rational argument with be Rajasthan has such a culture, it's such a part of the cultural unconscious, could Mukul have just had it in his head that there is this marvelous place? But then we were saying that there's too much detail that you the have to... The temple and then to a find temple the... temple and the little... So you kind of have to buy the reincarnation argument to some degree. Yeah. You just can't say, oh yes, he was fascinated by Rajasthan and so on. And one other detail that Ray often talked about is he uses often oranges, reds, the pink sandstone of Jaipur, and he reserves the yellows. And he said this, I don't make anywhere where anyone wear yellow earlier in the film. So that when you come to that golden fortress... It, the color kind of wraps you up and takes you over. So it's really a very sensuously imagined enchantment. Well, the sensuous imagination of Rajasthan also has to do, I think, with uh, 
There are two very contradictory things going on here, I think, uh, for Bengalis. Well, Jota, you remember, is five and a half feet or less, right? And you are not supposed to trust anyone. That's a joke on Bengalis, who are usually not that tall compared to Rajasthanis, for instance, Western, Western Indians. And West Indian men are produced, uh, even women in Rajasthan, are produced at the warrior class. And they're very really warrior-like. And they're very really macho. And the women are given to... Uh, committing great acts of sacrifice in order to save themselves from any kind of uh, humiliation. And we're talking about centuries of uh, invaders coming from the West, from the you know Greeks all the way to the Mughals, uh, the Muslims. And uh, there are all these stories in Rajkahini that appear very prominently of Padmini, the great uh, princess queen of Chitor, who self-immolated with a whole bunch of other women rather than giving themselves over to be touched and sullied by these uh, marauders. Uh, so in the colonial imagination, Bengalis are the people who get educated in Western ideals and liberal values. And once they get educated in that, they want the goodies. So they start actually clamoring for some of the rights that they read about. And this starts the whole nation nationalist anti-British movement in Bengal, largely at first. And so it becomes incumbent upon the British to somehow downgrade the Bengalis, right? So the production of the Bengalis as the effete, the weak, the short, the lazy, the not quite uh, you know, pragmatic uh, starts from this period. A whole bunch of colonial masculinities get separated out. So for the Bengalis, they actually buy into this to some extent, right? And so the Rajasthanis, are not, it's not just because the location itself is so arid and desert-like, where Bengal is all riverine. From an aircraft, it looks bluish-green or greenish-blue. Uh, it's exactly the opposite topography. It's not just that, but also this idea of the Rajasthanis being more macho and tall. And, you know, and Singhji does pick up hmm. Lal Mohan like that. Like a, no, not like some, no, no, uh, Jot, uh, the Dr. other guy, Dr. 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 The, no, the, no, the fake Dr. Hajra. The fake Dr. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say one thing about Rajasthan. One more thing I say? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I thought, apologies. Uh, I think uh, while uh, we are talking about this question of enchantment with the fort, forts um, and the sort of uh, imagination and a sense of expanse that comes with these uh, images and with this uh, uh, desert question and desert masculinities. I think what's really interesting in the film is that uh, the final climax uh, that actually does not take place in a royal setting. Like for a, hmm. for for most people visiting uh, the Golden Fortress, uh, you are like if you were to do a normal tour, <coughs> you would be taken into the palaces, the main royal. Uh, I mean, where the royals would be put up, the more aristocratic side. Of, uh, of the fort, but the actual final climax takes place within rubbles. Uh, and that's quite an interesting uh, contradiction or paradox because you think, I mean, obviously it is known towards by the end of that film that there is no treasure and so on, but then what you are literally left to encompass with is the detritus of history, literally rubbles and ruins in yeah. which you cannot find anything else. So it looks golden, it looks fantastic, it looks, uh, it has that sort of widescreen feeling, uh, but what you really have at the end is nothing, um, uh, even in Rajasthan. I think that's quite a contradiction that Ray lays out uh, at the end, along with the fact that you never actually get to know if Mukul 
ever realize if that was his birthplace or not. That kind of right. left unsaid while the film kind of takes uh, sort of a turn towards uh, sort of resolving its own uh, sense of crime and morality. But uh, really what's going on in Mukul's head, you cannot really fully uh, come to know the truth of like there's this fantastic shot where you see Mukul just framed against all the rubbles in the room while the action is taking place outside and then it cuts entirely to everything happening on the outside and you kind of forget Mukul for two minutes uh, in that climax but really it's not anywhere it's not taking place in the sort of amongst jewels or amongst the ornate part of the mm -hmm. fort but literally the downside the forgotten side uh, of that inner city of, of Golden Fortress. But he also, he looks at something yeah. and cries, yeah. but we don't actually, actually see. It's a rubble. Probably he sees that everything that he knew. Yeah. And value. his father's a gem cutter. He's an yeah. artisan. Yeah. He's mm. not a king. Yeah. It also has to be the reality check that brings him, wants yeah. him to be coming back to his real family in Calcutta. Uh, what I wanted to say was that this is the second film that Ray shoots in Rajasthan, the first being Gupi Gain Magawain. If you remember Shundi, the entire thing is shot in Rajasthan, in the desert. Yeah. Um, this business about, you know, masculinity, I think this is a period in which Ray again and again and again starts thinking about masculinity. And the film you're watching on Wednesday will be all about that, really. But, you know, mm -hmm. if the warrior figure is the foil, right, the, the opposite of the Bengali intellectual type, then where do we place Feluda? Because Feluda is an anomaly in Bengal, like Ray was, six feet plus tall. That generation was never almost six feet plus tall, uh, six four maybe. Uh, Shomitra Chatterjee, the actor, is not that tall. He's just under six, uh, but Ray was very tall. Uh, he had a booming voice. Ray had a booming voice, and Feluda, you know, there's this whole exchange between Shomitra and uh, Shotojit. Shomitra comes and tells him, you know. I think you based Feluda, you've written the character out, based, basing it on yourself. And he laughs and says, oh, other people are telling me that I based it on you. So there is always this sort of connection, this, this sort of tie between uh, Ray and uh, his main actor, Shomitra Chatterjee, uh, who passed away from COVID two years ago. Um, he has done, I can't remember how many, maybe 20 films with Ray. Uh, starting with the world of Apu as the grown-up Apu. Uh, and then, you know, this is clearly a person, I'm talking about the actor Shomitro, who is tall, really handsome, but he was also, interestingly, a poet. He co-edited a very important little magazine that was incredibly influential, Ekon, or now. Uh, the covers were all done by Ray. The name Ekon comes from Ray. Uh, so they had a long collaboration spanning multiple media. And I think there is something to be said about Bengal's sapiophilic imagination. And our friend Brinda Bose was talking about this at the conference, that sapiophilia is the love of the intellectual, right? The love of intellect, of smartness, uh, love of clever people, smart people. And clearly we have a nexus here with Chidu Jatha, with uh, the young Topshe, with uh, Feluda. The next film about Feluda is uh, the, uh, the Elephant God, right? In Bengali, uh, Joy Baba Feluda. Right. Uh, and that takes place in Benares. And there's a very pivotal character there, a side character, but someone who's like a bodybuilder. And there's so much fascination and tension between Feluda and the bodybuilder. 
because that's the other to this sapiophilic kind of figure. Um, I think what we are seeing here is across these films, multiple models of masculinity being offered for someone like Topshe, for someone like me at seven or eight years old to choose from really. And of course, what we come up with may be some kind of hybrid. Uh, okay, Vishnu uh, or Pujita actually. This one has to go to you because this is the intergenerational part coming in. Uh, Feluda has a huge afterlife after Ray passed away in 1992. That's officially the end of Feluda, but it isn't. There are other people now taking up and writing Feluda stories. So if you want to. Yeah, I think there's a joke amongst our friends that there is a Feluda cinematic universe, literally. Um, after Feluda died, his son Sandeep Rai uh, started remaking a lot of the show. Good, good slip there. Um, <laughs> um, so, sort of started taking up uh, a lot of the shorter no novella pieces that Ray wrote and started making televisual dramas, mm -hmm. not full-length features, but later sort of uh, graduated into making longer feature films. Uh, Feluda is sort of... Uh, sort of the cinematic universe is actually a transmedial universe. There is anything from now graphic novels uh, to uh, podcasts to anything, any media or any format that one can really think about um, and, and an entire fan fiction universe uh, given this immense popularity uh, that has spawned in the last sort of 15 to 20 years. Uh, and uh, lit I, I ended up writing, the, uh, very weirdly, this paper on Feluda's afterlife in a Feluda-styled cafe, themed cafe, uh, <laughs> in, in South Calcutta. So there is also, like, literally this obsession about Feluda goes about to any degree that uh, one can uh, think or imagine. Uh, but the one sort of thing that I got really obsessed, and this might actually, and I'm bringing this up because Bhaskar may, may have an interest in this, uh, is the fact that after, in, in this sort of fan fiction universe or, or, or the sort of later adaptations on Feluda that happened, uh, what slowly emerges is actually Bangladesh's obsession yeah. about Feluda. Because, uh, uh, because while the time of Ray was writing and happening, uh, writing and making these films, uh, uh, the, there is uh, there is East Pakistan that becomes Bangladesh, but you never actually see in Ray's uh, uh, sort of writings or travels that Ray ever goes into Bangladesh uh, or has that sort of lineage or history. It's totally made absent, uh, uh, totally really totally made absent, uh, except this one uh, one sort of very small sort of a slip away. Uh, in this uh, novel called Royal Bengal Mystery or Royal Bengal Rahosho, where Topshe sort of says or kind of reminiscences uh, that Feluda is actually from Bangladesh um, and is from a very small village called Shona Dighi. Uh, and that's really just a slip away um, at there. Uh, and what happens really in the present at these days when all these Bangladeshi fan fiction writers who are taking up uh, these sort of uh, sort of lacunas and bits and pieces of the original sort of race creation, they actually take this part from Feluda's uh, origins in Bangladesh uh, as being a Bangal uh, who's coming in from Bangladesh into this partition sort of uh, affected Calcutta. Uh, and you see in a lot of these fan fictions uh, and later adaptations that uh, this sort of uh, origins of Feluda in Bangladesh kind of become heightened up. 
Uh, and these novels mm -hmm. actually become the site for interrogating partition trauma uh, wow. and Feluda sort of re revisiting wow. Bangladesh and a lot of discourse and dialogue about really this man who's originally from Bangladesh but finds fame later in Calcutta now goes back to Bangladesh again to solve crimes uh, and so on. So there is a sort of uh, and a lot of I mean there are many things happening in this sort of later adaptations and fan fictions and Feluda cinematic universe and call whatever but really for me the most interesting thing that comes around in this sort of more contemporary era is Bangladesh sort of finding a feat, a voice in articulating its own histories, its own partition histories and its own relation to Calcutta which is never really articulated by Ray uh, except as a passing line and that becomes a major sort of obsessive theme uh, in the contemporary and there's a lot of body of work on this, lot of Bangladeshi OTT adaptations and so on. Uh, that take this um, that take this uh, question ahead. So Royal Bengal Rohsho was written probably like mid to late 70s. Mid to late 70s. So that 71 is when Bangladesh happened. happened so right. yeah, he was sort of responding to that. But it's a pretty big risk. I mean, uh, admission in a way that Felisa yeah. could be from Bangladesh. It is, and for a is, Calcutta born, Calcutta bred, and, Calcutta guy, and Calcutta loved in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that's what the fan fictions really try to sort of parse yeah. out to its. Uh, so, I've written a whole book on partition trauma and uh, <laughs> film, but you know, I had no clue. <laughs> Clearly, we need people from other generations on panels <laughs> all the way. And in that spirit, I want to open up for q and I was wondering about the color change at the beginning of the movie from black and white to color. It was very jarring. Yeah, I can just say one one interesting thing, and I wanted to bring it up uh, really when Vishnudi was talking. Uh, the color change uh, for uh, really happens when uh, the word shonar appears mm. on the text, and the word shonar means golden, and that and and when, and you see on those images that the tie, I mean, sort of uh, the sort of uh, the credit sequence, the credit sequence, Sorry. but also Mukul's images being flipped or what crayon of crayon or these pastel drawings, but literally when the word shonar happens. The word golden appears, literally you see this burst of yellow coming at you. Um, and Ray, I'm sure that is an intention and purposeful uh, an act of creativity to kind of make that color very, very prominent. Uh, uh, at, I mean, from the get-go and then which later, as she was saying, will become increasingly, increasingly a mainstay of the color schema of the yeah. film. I also think that, you know, the color is one of the forms in which we accompany Mukul. Mm. I mean, there was a lot of people in the conference who was talking about Satyajit Ray's children who are not quite, you know, they're really about our nostalgia for, for children. But in Mukul, you actually have a very discerning interpretive character. You know, in the end, when he takes out the gun and tries to shoot the peacock, he makes the call that this is not, this guy is not right. Right, so so that in a way we accompany Mukul, so that the kind of Mukul's imagination that bursts in color on in his in his sketchbook is what I, I think color is makes a certain kind of argument as we accompany him. Um, what, by this time in his career, Ray was very much an internationally known director. Yeah. For whom was this film? Made. Was it made for, for the Bengali, Bengali yeah. audience? And so this is the question that comes up in Gupigai and Bhagavan also, which is 69. Mm -hmm. So that's the film that was made expressly uh, because his son, Shondip, said growing up that you never make films for me or my generation, my, my age group. So he wanted to do that. And that was his biggest hit ever, Gupigai. 
And this was the second biggest hit ever, Shonakella. So these are just, uh, it's really instructive to think about what he made before and after this film, around this film. The previous film was Distant Thunder. It was about 1943 famine. And it won the Golden Bear at Berlin. And the next film is The Middleman, which is really a very, very deep, deeply unsettling and pessimistic film. I, be, I, I don't think it's made a more pessimistic film than that. In between comes this as a breath of fresh air. And this is in a populist genre. He's drawing for the, the Gupigain on his grandfather's children's story. This is his story for young adults. Uh, so I think of it as a continuation, not so much of the modernist master, but as that, that Ray is often consecrated as, you know, the world modern world cinema's modernist, one of the greats, but as a genre filmmaker that's really attending to the taste cultures of local uh, audiences, including children. And uh, that's really, I think, important. Now, um, Ashish Nomdi, this really famous social psychologist, has a very interesting piece called Shotujit Rai's Secret Guide to Exquisite Murders. <laughs> and here he talks about people like H.G. Wells all the way to Salman Rushdie. When these people wrote their stories, their, their creative work, they were brilliant and it's so fun and interesting and very layered and kind of sets you free in terms of your imagination. Whereas the same people, including Rushdie, when they make actually pronouncements, when they write essays about contemporary politics, they're unbearable. They're pedantic, they're irritating, they're like really narrow. They are pretty much uh, pandering to a liberal uh, audience uh, and say really dull things. So he sort of surmises that it's one of those problems of modernity, that the moment you face a audience that expects you to be sober and serious and high-minded, you fall into a trap and all your free thinking kind of goes away. You just kind of answer by numbers in a way, right? You're all your, all, whatever you have to say, it's like what you think they want to hear. And Ray falls for that too, he argues, in his more serious films. Whereas these films are actually what sets him free. Gupiga and Bhagavan is like the most incredible burst of joy, right? And uh, I think there is something to it and his stories will, perhaps live on longer than those insanely great films like Charulata or uh, The Music Room. I think oh. he carries his grandfather and father's trajectory of creating a literate public of children, you know. So, so there's a, a big educational pedagogic mission, but it's somewhere between pedagogy and pleasure. And this gets funded by the chief minister of Bengal, I mean, he gets funding actually from the state to make this. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting um, parallel project, I would say. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. And Wednesday we have Nayok. That's a modernist film. We're done with the children's films. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, Visit us online at uctv.tv.